0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cheo English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that the Bible is Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken to us through it, and in it You tell us the truth about Yourself and the truth about us. Our Father, we pray this afternoon, as we hear about the glorious new covenant, that you would fill us with love for the Lord Jesus. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, and empower us to live our lives for you, with hearts and minds that are set apart for you, and with lives that love you. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Well, sometimes you need to take people away from a good thing in order to give them the best thing. Think about that. Sometimes you need to take people away from a good thing to give them the best thing. Now, I don't really remember, but I'm pretty sure that as a baby, it's nice to be in mum's womb. I'm pretty sure it's a good place to be. You're warm, you're protected, you're all snuggled up, no one's bothering you, it's fine. But, as we know, if a baby's truly gonna live, it needs to be taken away from the womb, even with all the pain that that involves. Sometimes, friends, you need to take people away from a good thing to give them the best thing. Another example is the imperial system of measurement. It was okay, it was all right. Ounces, pounds, Yards, miles, but let's face it, let's be real. Metric is so much better. It's much simpler. It makes more sense. Centimeters, kilograms, meters, kilometers. And again, friends, to get into the metric system, you have to be taken out of the imperial system. Sometimes you need to take people away from a good thing to give them the best thing. Back in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, Paul has said that we have been taken away from the law. That's talking about God's law, given through Moses in the Old Testament. It's set out for us in the first five books of the Old Testament, also known as the Pentateuch. Paul says, we as Christians are not under this law anymore. You can see it there, that's what he says. Look at chapter six, verse 14. Flip back a page maybe, chapter six, verse 14. We looked at this last week. Chapter six, verse 14, it says this. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. But, of course, God's law is a good thing, right? Think about it. It says things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You'd agree with that, right? That's a good thing. The law tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a good thing. We would be for that, right? The law teaches us, don't murder, don't steal. The law is good. And so, if you take people away from the law, it raises all kinds of questions, all kinds of issues. Questions like the one we saw in verse 15, which is immediately following what we just read. Chapter 6, verse 15, look there. Chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? It's actually an obvious question. We're not under the law of Moses anymore. We've been taken away from that good thing. So now the question arises, is that some kind of a license for us to sin? Does that mean I don't have to love God anymore? Does that mean I don't have to love my neighbor anymore? That's the question. And last Sunday, we saw the first part of Paul's response to that question. Last week, we saw... That Paul actually doesn't address the issue of law specifically. He took us back to a deeper root problem. Do you remember? Remember what that was last week? Shout it out if you remember what it was last week. Excellent. Paul told us that the root problem is not having the law or not having the law. That's what he said. It's not about having the law or not having the law. Paul showed us by using an illustration of slavery, and he said the reason we sin is because we are slaves to sin. That's why we sin. Law or no law, it doesn't matter. We're slaves to sin. And so if we're gonna deal with sin, we need to be set free from sin. In other words, we need to be given to a new master. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. You get set free from sin, slavery of sin, Satan and death, and now God is your master. God becomes your master, so now you live for him. Now, having gone back to the basics, Paul actually takes us to the issue of the law itself. Paul addresses the issue of, what do you do with the Old Testament law? What do you do with this law then? Friends, there are two big things that Paul reveals for us in this little passage today, six verses. He talks about, firstly, what it means that we're not under the law, and then he tells us the reason why we're not under the law. Those are two things that he teaches us. Uh, He tells us what it means that we're not under the law anymore, and he tells us, secondly, the reason or why we're not under the law anymore. Chapter 7, verse 1, it sets up a pretty obvious example. Law only applies to people who are alive. You can't text and drive if you're dead. You know what I mean? Like You can't do anything illegal if you're deceased. There's no point telling a corpse to honor its parents. There's no point in punishing a corpse for not keeping the law. It's silly. You're wasting your time. It's fruitless. Once you're dead... The law doesn't apply to you anymore. Look with me at chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? The law is only for living people. Once you're dead, you're not under the authority of the law anymore. And then, Paul goes on to use another illustration. This time, it's an illustration of marriage. And married people, I'm sure it's unrelated to the illustration of slavery he just used. There's no two things. I'm sure uh, it's not connected. Well, the married people are like, amen. You don't even get the joke. It's okay. (laughs) Anyways, Paul has just used an illustration about slavery and now uses another illustration about marriage. Paul uses marriage as an illustration of how law finishes when there's death. And it works like this. A woman is married to a man while he's still alive. If she marries someone else while her husband is still alive, she's committing adultery. She's committing the sin of what's called bigamy because she's under the law of this marriage. But if her husband dies, everything changes. She's no longer married to that first man, and now she is free to marry someone else. Look with me at chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. Verse 2 and 3. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to a husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Same principle. Death severs a woman from being under the law of her first husband. That's the illustration he uses. It sets her free from that law, and now it sets her free to marry someone else. That's the example, and Paul uses that to illustrate our relationship to the law. That's us now as Christians. It's a little bit like that with us and the Old Testament law. The law in the Old Testament that God gives to his covenant people, the law was like, in a sense, our first husband. But now, through the death of Jesus on the cross for our sin, we have died to that first husband. That marriage, it's over. It's finished. It's done with. We are now set free from that law, and now we're set free to marry someone else. Now we're free to be married to Jesus. Look with me at verse 4a. Verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Friends, you see how Paul is using this marriage illustration? It's like we were married to the Old Testament law, but now that marriage has been terminated by death. We've been set free to enter into a new marriage, a marriage to Jesus. And so that's our relationship to the Old Testament. That's what it means when it says that we're not under the law of Moses anymore. For us, Christians, the law of Moses is finished. The commandments of the Old Testament, they have no authority, no binding authority over the Christian anymore. None of them, none of those laws. That covenant, that marriage, that system, it's finished for us. It's past history. And this is really important, especially if you grew up in church, especially if you have Asian parents who are church people, because growing up, I always thought it was a requirement by God to tithe or to give a tithe or to give a small uh, fraction of my money to the church. And my parents always talked as if that was like a legal requirement. Christians, we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. It is not law for us because now we're under grace. That covenant, that marriage, that system is finished for us. It's past history, it's gone. And so we come back to our question. Surely, that's a recipe for sin, isn't it? Does that mean I can murder and steal and dishonor my parents? Does that mean I can worship idols and commit adultery? Does that mean I don't have to love God and I don't have to love my neighbor anymore? Friends, notice the reason given there in verse four. Notice why we are set free from the law. We're not set free from the law so we can sin. It's actually the complete opposite. The reason we were set free from the law and brought into a relationship with Jesus was so that we could serve God. That's the reason. God says you're now in a new covenant so that you can bear fruit for God, that you can live obedient, fruitful lives for God. It's there at the end of verse four. Look at verse four. Verse four B. We died to the law so we could be related to Jesus. And see the reason here, the purpose, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Okay. So we're not set free from the law so we can sin. We're set free from the law so that we can bear fruit for God. It's a case of being taken away from a good thing so that we can have the best thing we taken away from the law so we can be united, married to Jesus. And we're united to Jesus so that we can produce the fruit that God wants from us. Now, there's a little hint here. The way that Paul has said this is actually very important. Because what Paul is doing is he's using an illusion. He's using a connection. It's a throwback. It's a hint that actually comes from the Old Testament. It's in this idea or the quote of bearing fruit. Because the biblical idea of bearing fruit, it has a long history in the Bible. It's an image that God uses in a couple of the prophets in the Old Testament. And it's an image that is then picked up by John the Baptist and then picked up by the Lord Jesus himself. In the Old Testament, Israel were, of course, God's covenant people, and God did everything for them. He gave them his law. He saved them. He brought them into the promised land. He protected them, provided for them, gave them rulers and kings. But Israel Did not bear fruit for God. They didn't live the kind of lives that God wanted from them. They didn't love God and obey God the way that He wanted. And in a number of passages, God says so. But the classic passage, the classic passage that Vidi just read for us, Isaiah chapter 5, in Isaiah chapter 5, God compares Israel to a vineyard. He says He did everything for His vineyard, but Israel refused to bear fruit. They bore only bad grapes. Look with me at the screen at this passage from Isaiah 5 and notice the fruit illustration here. Isaiah 5, verse 1 and 2. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Israel, Old Testament, they had God's law, but it didn't work for them. They didn't bear fruit. They didn't live the way God wanted them to live. And that was right true up to the time of Jesus. Israel still had the law. They still weren't obeying God. They still weren't living fruitful lives. And you may remember when Jesus came, he actually taught a very similar parable. Do you remember? A parable about a vineyard. God is the owner. The rulers, the rulers of Israel are the tenants. But when the owner comes to collect his fruit, the tenants say, no way, we're not giving it to you. It's a consistent pattern that we see in Scripture. It's an image used again and again in the Bible. Israel, Old Testament, they had the law, but they could not produce the fruit that God desired from them. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 5, Paul spells it out a little bit more. He says, as long as Israels were slaves to their sinful nature, the law couldn't help them. That covenant could not produce fruit. It just produced fruit for death. Look with me at verse five. Romans seven, verse five. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. In other words, law can't fix the problem. It never could. It can tell us what to do, but it can't give us the power to do it. It can't produce within us the fruit that God wants. And that's why we needed to die to the law in Christ. That's why we need a new husband. That's why we needed a new covenant, a new marriage. We needed to be taken away from the good thing of the Old Testament law so that we could be given a better thing, so that we could produce fruit for God. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 6. He says... Now we've been released from the law, and so we can serve God in a whole new way. It's a new way. And notice again the way he puts it, because it's an allusion to the Old Testament. He says, we serve God in the new way of the Spirit. That's what he says. Look at verse six. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Again, this language here is language about the Spirit, and it comes from the Old Testament. This time, it's from Ezekiel 36. Back in Ezekiel's time, he was talking to God's people when they were in exile. They consistently failed to produce fruit for God, and so God had them thrown out of their land and taken off into exile. Bad news. But God says, one day he will establish a new covenant. That's the promise, a new way of serving, a new way of living fruitful lives, a way that is based on the giving of God's own spirit, the Holy Spirit. Look with me on the screens at Ezekiel 36, verse 25 to 27. This is what he says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God always knew that the covenant of the law could not produce the fruit that he wanted. God knew. God always knew that the first husband of the law couldn't deal with sin, and so that's why he promised a new covenant. And friends, I hope that's ringing some bells for you, because of course, that's exactly what our Lord Jesus said, right? When we share in the Lord's Supper, in communion, do you remember what Jesus says that that cup of wine represents? Can you remember? It represents the new covenant. The new covenant brought in through Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. Or John chapter 15, it's a famous passage, we love that passage. Jesus picks up on the idea of bearing fruit. On his mind is the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus says in John 15, if you're united to me, then you'll be able to bear fruit. That's the way of living a fruitful life. Look with me at the screens again, John 15, verse five, the words of our Lord to his disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, can you see this idea of being set free from the law to be in a new covenant? It's actually not Paul's idea at all. It's not from Romans. It's not a new idea. It's there in the Old Testament, it's there in the teachings of Jesus. And the illusions that Paul uses fruit, spirit, All of it, it points us back to these Old Testament precedents. But the point is this. You can't be married to two husbands at once. That's the point. You can't be married to two covenants at once. The only way to come into the new covenant is to be set free from the old covenant. If we're going to get the best, we have to be taken away from that which is good. You can't be in two covenants at once. So if you want to be in covenant with Jesus, if you want to be married to Jesus, if you want to be in the new covenant, then you need to be released from the old. And that is why we as Christians are not under the law of Moses anymore. It's not so we can sin. It's so that we can serve God under the new covenant in the new way of the Holy Spirit. It's so that we can actually do what Israel never could do, is so that we actually can bear fruit for God. Friends, that's the reason why we've been saved. When I think about this passage, what it convicts me of is I still struggle to obey God. I know why God saved me and I know he's given me his spirit. I know I'm freed from the law. It just makes no sense that I can call him master and husband and Lord yet struggle to obey him because of this sin that's within me. And we're gonna talk about that next week. But friends, can you see what this passage is all about? Paul is discussing our relationship to the Old Testament law. Paul says the Old Testament law has no authority over us anymore. We are dead to that law. That covenant is finished. That marriage, finished. But we haven't been taken away from the Old Testament law so we can. Sin is not a license to sin, We've been taken away from that law so that we can serve God filled with His Spirit in a new way, in a new covenant so that you and I can be united to Jesus so that we can be filled with God's Holy Spirit and therefore live fruit-bearing lives for God's glory. Friends, this is actually immensely theologically rich stuff. There's so much in here. There's so much to talk about this afternoon. I want to briefly explore two key ideas. Two key ideas by implication. First, I want us to think about the place of the Old Testament in our Christian lives. What does the Old Testament mean for the New Testament Christian? Friends, it's important that we as Christians understand what the Old Testament means. And we have to understand what it means, that we're not under that law anymore. And this passage, these six verses, it has laid it out for us. The Old Testament law, it's got no authority over us. We don't serve God on the basis of the written code, he says. That covenant, that marriage, that system, that relationship has ceased, it's ended. And the fact that it's ended is not a new idea. We see it in the Old Testament itself that it's necessary that that happens. We see it from the Old Testament itself that it is expected that that will happen. We're not under this law. But that doesn't mean that the law of Moses is irrelevant. It's not time for us to tear out the first five books of the Bible because look again with me on the screens at Ezekiel 36. Look at what this new covenant entails, okay? This is the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart, new spirit in you. i remove from you heart of stone, give you heart of flesh, get this. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow what? My decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Later, Jeremiah, the prophet, will put it like this. Jeremiah will say, God says, I have written my law on their hearts. Think about that. So here's the way it works. We serve God in a whole new way. We're under a new covenant. We're united to Jesus. We're empowered by his spirit. We don't serve God based on a written code anymore that's written down in laws. We serve God because he's given us new hearts that want to serve Him. That's what it means to be a Christian. One of the evidences of your conversion is that now you have a new desire to actually please God. Now you have a new desire to actually live for Him. You want to live for Him. It's an indicator of the fruit of the Spirit. That is what bearing fruit actually looks like, is it not? Friends, but the content of serving God, this is important. The content of serving God, like what we do, in many ways actually remains the same. It's not exactly the same by any means. It's not exactly the same. But it is actually God's law that is written on our hearts. Now, of course, God's law is fulfilled in Jesus. We know that. That's what he said. And so the way that we will deal with specific laws will vary from law to law. Some Old Testament laws are obviously still for us to continue obeying. The fact that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law for us, it doesn't mean that we don't continue to obey them anymore. For example... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Jesus himself, he picks up on those laws, right? He teaches from it. He echoes them. He amplifies them. They're still for us to continue obeying. That's not just an Old Testament law that's dead. Jesus says, no, no, this is the greatest commandment. It's still the most important thing to obey. But then on the other hand, some laws are obviously not still for us to continue obeying in the same way today in the new covenant. The New Testament tells us that Jesus fulfills them in such a way that they don't require any further action on our behalf. For example, the law of sacrifice, the sacrificial system. Think about it. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sin, that means we don't have to go to a temple anymore and kill animals and have them sacrifice for our sins. For example, following a specific Sabbath day, we don't need to do it anymore. Now, it's a good principle. Yes, you should rest. It's a good thing to do, but it's not law. For example, giving a tithe. We don't need to do it anymore. It's a great thing to do, but it's not law. We're under grace. What we do with each individual Old Testament law is going to depend on the nature of that law, and also it's going to depend on the way that Jesus has fulfilled it. We do need to think hard about the Old Testament law. We can't be lazy with this. There's no blanket statement. There's no one size fits all. But friends, I think a good rule of thumb when we approach the Old Testament laws is just to see how the New Testament deals with it. What does Jesus say about this Old Testament law? That is what it means for us as Jesus followers. We do what Jesus says about the law. Friends, but the point is, the law is not irrelevant to us. Let me illustrate. How does it work then? that we are not under the authority of the Old Testament law, but yet it can still inform us. How does that work? The best illustration I've ever heard on this is actually a biblical illustration from Galatians. But the Old Testament law is a little bit like a retired professor. But this retired professor, he does not set exams for us anymore. We're not under his authority. We're not going to be held accountable to him at the end of semester. But this retired professor still knows a lot about the subject. And so we would be very wise to go to this professor for advice. That's how the Old Testament law works. It has no authority over us anymore, but it's still a very helpful guide to our spirit-empowered new covenant service of bearing fruit for God. See how it works? Okay, friends, that's point number one. The place of the Old Testament in Christian lives which leads me to the final point, actually to the main point of Paul in this passage. And I think this is really the heart of what Paul's trying to say in these six verses. Paul is trying to challenge us. If Paul was here with us right now preaching this text, he would say, serve God. That's the application. You're filled with the Spirit. You're in the new covenant. To bear fruit for God, so bear fruit for God. That is the main application of these six verses. The whole reason we were taken away from the law was not so that we can sin, was so that we could be in a new covenant, so that we could bear fruit for God, the fruit of obedience, the fruit of repentance. God has taken us away from the good thing of law to give us the best thing. And so the challenge for you and me as Christians is this. Bear fruit for God. Bear fruit for God. What does this passage mean for you and me today? Bear fruit for God. That's what it means. Obey God with your life. The challenge is to serve God in the new way of the Spirit. The challenge is to serve and love our new husband, Jesus. One thing I've noticed about marriage is this. The nicer you are to your wife, the more willing she is to help you. That's a freebie. You're welcome. The occasional kind word, a listening ear every now and then, help out with the housework, buy her flowers once in a while, things that I never do. If you come home late and she asks you how your day was or what you've done this week, then you don't say nothing. You actually make an effort to converse and actually say something meaningful. All of those things, it has a good effect. They have a good effect on a marriage. They actually help your wife want to help you. The point is this, the nicer you are to your spouse, the more willing they will be to help you. Church, in Jesus Christ, we've got ourselves an awesome husband, have we not? Is he not the most wonderful husband? Is he not the most faithful husband? Friends, in Jesus Christ, you and I have got ourselves an awesome husband who loves us perfectly. In Jesus, we have a husband who gave up his own life, who gave up his throne in glory to die on a cross in agony for you and for me. That's the kind of husband we have. That's love. He's done that to give us the very best. We've got ourselves a husband who has not only died for us, he's given us his spirit. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Not only that, We've got a husband not only dies for our sin and rises again, not only does he give us his spirit, we have a husband who's gonna come back for us. We have a husband who's never broken any promises to us. We have a husband who's gonna transform us and bring us home to a sin-free eternity with him in glory. And so we should love him, right? We should obey him. It should be a delight to serve him. How can we do anything else with a husband like that? Jesus is not like the law who just tells us what to do but doesn't help us do it. No, no, here he is. He's loved us. He's set us free. He's forgiven us. He's empowered us with his Holy Spirit. He gives us a new heart. This new covenant service, it's not about rules. But loved by Jesus, covenantally, filled with his Holy Spirit, you and I, we should want to serve our husband. That's the point. We should want to serve him. Here's the thing, as a Christian, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. You don't have to go to life group. It's not law, it's grace. You're privileged to go to life group. How good is your God to give you a community that will love you and pray for you and help you grow with him? What a privilege. Friends, think of how much Jesus loves you and times that by a trillion and you're still not scratching the surface. We, as sinful humans, we're so limited in how we understand God's kind love for us. Jesus on a cross is an empty tomb. He marries us. And when you know how wretched you are, that's an amazing thing. God, you're willing to atone for my sin. You're willing to save me, forgive me, redeem me, renew me, revive me, Fill me with your spirit, give me the desire to want to obey you, and then you want to take me home to be with you forever in glory? That's the kind of husband we should want to serve, that we should want to praise, that we should want to obey. Friends, God has given to you and me a new heart. He's given to us his spirit. If you became a Christian, what has happened in the eyes of God is he has removed from you a heart of stone. He's given to you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a beating heart, a bleeding heart, a heart that is alive. If you're a Christian, God has quickened you to life. You were dead in your sin, right? God says, live and you live. He's transfused his saving power on you and he's brought us from death to life spiritually. Friends, we need to be people that are saying, I belong to him. He's my master, he's my husband, he's my king, he's my Lord, he's my God. Whatever he says, I'll do. I live to please him. Everything I am, everything I have is for his delight. Everything I can possibly achieve in the 50 years I might have left, it's for my husband. It's for my king. Because he owns me. He's my husband now. Friends, and positively, as we work through every aspect of our lives, as we think prayerfully about every arena of our lives, we need to do it with our loving husband in mind. As we work through uni exams, family struggles, as you deal with the pressures of work, the pressures of marriage, raising children, as we work through how we earn and spend money, as we work through the many different compartments of our lives, we need to do it with King Jesus in our mind. So a great question to ask would be, how does this decision I'm about to make honor King Jesus? How does the decision I'm about to make please my husband, Jesus? in our work, in our studies, in our homes, in our leisure, in all these things, we know that we have a husband who loves us. And so we need to live in a way that pleases him, that is faithful to him, that is bearing fruit for him. Friends, do you see what this passage is saying? It's actually a loving reminder. It's actually a loving challenge. God indeed has taken us away from the Old Testament law. Not so that we can sin. He's taken us away from that law to give us the best thing, to give us himself. We're now in a new covenant. We are now the bride of Christ. We've been given his Holy Spirit. And so now, you and I should serve our loving husband. We should serve our God with passion and joy and delight, with grateful hearts. So church, let me urge you, Go forth, love your God, serve your husband, love him, honour him, please him, until he returns or takes us home. Let's pray. We're gonna spend um, just a couple minutes, a couple moments in prayer. If God is convicting you of a particular sin in your life, Then, why don't you spend some time in repentance, asking him to help you uh, love and worship him and bear fruit for him? If there's an area of struggle and difficulty in your spiritual growth, why don't you bring that before um, your loving husband now and just speak to him about that? Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the new covenant that you promised. And we thank you, Lord, that you have brought us in to this new covenant. Lord, we thank you that because of your grace, we are now united to him, filled with your Holy Spirit, and set free from our sin. Lord, we thank you for the great forgiveness that you offer us, We thank you that you are the one that is empowering us to live lives that are honoring to you. Our Father, we thank you that a day is coming when you will come for us and transform us and bring us home to be with you forever without sin. Lord, with our past and with our future in mind, strengthen us now by your Holy Spirit to live lives that bear fruit for you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.